Schools are places for children to learn, grow, and develop foundational skills. However, this learning environment has now become a leading target of vicious cyber attacks. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, there are about 130,000 schools and 57 million students in the K-12 education system in the United States. These thousands of schools strive to teach their students in the best way possible to prepare them for higher education. And nowadays, this consists of using more technological tools like Google Classroom, online testing applications, and Chromebooks for schoolwork. Schools are now seeing an exponential growth in targeted cyber attacks. The reason behind this is because of the sensitive information that they hold. Schools have to shut down if they become a victim to an attack and then work with cybersecurity organizations to clear up the situation. And most of the time, there aren't enough technical people working in these schools to prevent and resolve cyber attacks when they hit. This is extremely dangerous because cyber criminals recognize that schools don't have the best security and will try to find ways to compromise its network. Hello, my name is Montez Lamba, and you're listening to Cybersecurity in the Modern World, a podcast that outlines the importance of cybersecurity, informing you on how to better protect your devices. In this episode, we discuss how school systems have become a top target for cyber criminals. Like our previous episode about healthcare, schools have a lot of personal information from students and staff, and cyber criminals go to great lengths to try and compromise this data. We will discuss what cyber criminals will do with this data later on in the episode. In order to find out more about the recent rise in school cyber attacks, I sat down with the CEO of the nonprofit organization, COSIN, Keith Kruger. Yeah, COSIN is a national nonprofit, and we represent the people who are in charge of technology for our school systems. Only one in every five school districts even has one full-time person working on cybersecurity. So there's a lack of human capacity. Uh, The funding source that most schools use is that E-rate program that I talked about, but it doesn't cover most cybersecurity. So most school districts are limping along with inadequate tools and people. Many schools already have trouble finding enough teachers and substitute teachers for their classrooms, and the lack of technological staff further adds to their struggle, making schools more vulnerable to attacks. They may have little to no protection if a sophisticated one comes their way, and the majority of the attacks are ransomware. But why would hackers target schools rather than a Fortune 500 company? There are a lot of scams that happen asking uh, the finance office for all the W-2s of all the uh, staff. Uh, We also know that social security numbers are highly valuable uh, on the the dark web. And uh, nothing's more valuable than uh, getting student social security numbers because they probably don't even know that they have them. And so they may have to hold them for a few years until the student turns 18, but the student may not even know that they're going to be um, scammed, they're, that they're, they've lost control of their credit. Schools will actually provide a hacker with greater rewards than a large company would in some cases, as criminals can take social security numbers, tax information, and personal data. The sensitive data is usually sold on the dark web a secretive part of the internet that has now become host to numerous criminal activities, like the sale of stolen information and illegally distributed drugs. 
The dark web is a hidden part of the internet which can only be accessed through an anonymous browser, Tor. It was created in the 1990s by research organizations in the U.S. Department of Defense to provide a safe network for spies to communicate on. People who buy stolen information on the dark web can then use it for their own personal gain, such as making large purchases by using these credentials. It is hard to think that a learning environment whose goal is to educate students has now become the number one public sector target for hackers. You may remember in episode one when we discussed ransomware attacks, which are now actually the most popular attacks on schools. In a ransomware attack, your data is held by an adversary and they won't give it back without receiving a certain sum of money. Corey Schultz, Cisco security architectural leader for the public sector in the eastern half of the United States, sat down with me to talk more about phishing attacks, which is different from ransomware, but the two have combined to make a deadly duo. A phishing attack is basically when an adversary sends emails which consist of fraudulent links and data. These emails may have links, files, or attachments which download malware onto the computer once the person clicks on them. Phishing is is extremely um, popular uh, attack vector that we see all the time associated with ransomware, but it's also very, um, you know, it's also very effective, right? And especially in this time that we're dealing with, with COVID and everything, where people have been now kind of um, had to work from remotely or had to, had to, you know, learn remotely, right? And the teachers have had to teach remotely. Just the fact that they've been, you know, kind of, uh, put off their normal stance where, you know, they're not in the classroom, they're doing this from home, it's a different environment. We find that they're far more susceptible to fall for phishing attacks. Um, that teacher that, you know, would never have clicked on this before um, is now much more likely to click on that when they're in that, um, you know, when they're in that environment that's just unusual to them. Uh, and that's typically what we've been seeing, um, you know, with those type of attacks. This was especially harmful during the virtual learning period that kids had to go through during the pandemic. If this had happened under normal situations, teachers would still have been able to assign work with paper and assign problems from textbooks. However, with online learning, everything that they had to do was reliant on technology. So once that gets compromised, there is no alternative and learning has to be halted until the situation is cleared out. These phishing attacks have proved to be very disturbing during the pandemic. The emails that come from phishing attacks may have links, files, or attachments which download malware onto the computer once the person clicks on them. As Corey mentioned, these attacks are highly popular due to their simplicity and high success rate. Email users click on hundreds of links a day, and if you are not aware of which links to avoid, you may fall victim to a phishing attack. Keith explains this further. The real vulnerability are the students and teachers um, clicking on phishing attacks. So um, those have rapidly increased. You'll see in that article I just sent you that, um, you know, thousands and thousands of scams around COVID are put out across the internet and students and teachers at home are distracted and clicking on things that are not legitimate. The idea of the cyber criminal is then to get into the network and st steal the data and then go back to the school district and do a ransom attack, ask for money. 
that's primarily the things that are happening. This is a reminder that everyone using technology should use it wisely and avoid clicking on links that seem fraudulent. Children and younger kids might not know better, so they will tend to click on any link and file that comes their way. Here are some ways to identify phishing attack emails. Most of the emails that are malicious will usually be sent to many people, so the sender address and addressee will not be specific. Additionally, the email content will be very unrealistic, as it will talk about free coupons, discounts, and other promotional perks that you have not signed up for. As more of our work becomes digitized, it is important to practice proper use of the internet to avoid having your technology compromised. The attacks that happen on schools do not necessarily have to be in the middle of a busy urban place like Los Angeles or New York. Schools in rural areas are also susceptible. Adversaries simply monitor networks to find vulnerabilities and then they compromise a weak one once they find it. Keith from Kosen explained how this can happen. There have been examples in rural, in Bozeman, or not Bozeman, but in, a, uh, uh, in Montana, there was a four small school districts. And uh, th the way that they were hacked <laughs> was through their uh, security cameras. They, the security cameras run on the internet. They had installed them, the, the operations, the finance department or operations of the school district, the maintenance people put them up, but they never changed it from the factory preset security. So they thought that they, the superintendents of the school four school districts got notices that their data had been hacked. They needed to pay a ransom. Uh, and the, uh, they, if they didn't pay the ransom, a notice was going out to all parents and, and students that their data had been damaged and locked. So the four superintendents decided to get together to decide what to do. So they were driving to a parking lot. And of course the cyber criminals con controlled the, the video cameras. They, they scared the superintendents by sending a message saying, we see you, if you talk to each other, we're going to destroy all your data. Montana is a pretty rural state that isn't really known for their huge tech companies and populations. However, that didn't stop cyber criminals from launching an attack against the school. The school actually was forced to reach out to the FBI in order to resolve their issue. In the end, it turned out that the hackers were Ukrainian cyber terrorists from London who had found the network through the security cameras that were set up in the school. Interestingly enough, Foreign cyber attackers were also the culprit behind the attack at Newhall School District, who were able to get through a backdoor on a server and then compromise the system. So we can see that the range of attackers is actually a lot broader than one may think. Although this isn't exactly a common situation, students can also become well-versed in computers and launch an attack against their school. Corey Schultz talks about the different situations that he has seen. I would say probably, you know, it, it's very difficult to... Um, do attribution against against an attack. However, I would say that the the far majority is is foreign, but I wouldn't you know I certainly wouldn't count out domestic uh, uh, domestic uh, attackers as well. Foreign attackers from Russia, North Korea, China, and other adversarial countries usually are behind these attacks, and they have a lot of manpower behind their efforts. We will talk more about national cybersecurity and foreign relations in another episode. Corey also describes a unique situation where a student took down a school network. 
you know, we saw down in Florida, um, I think it was earlier, the beginning of this, this calendar year, there was a student who DDoSed his, his uh, school because he wasn't prepared for a test, um, took, took the school down and, um, you know, they found him. We didn't divulge further into the situation, but his discussion with me showed that even students could break into school systems for their own personal gain. This could disrupt a learning environment that thousands of students rely on. When a school system gets hacked, there are certain steps that the staff takes to restore their networks. Jeff Pelzel, superintendent of Newhall School District, the school district that I previously talked about, spoke with me about the steps that his team took to bring back their system after it was compromised in November of 2020. We immediately reached out and you know, began the, the process of uh, working through all of that um, with our risk management um, company that we work with. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, and, and, you know, we immediately decided and determined that we would um, basically cancel online learning for that day because we didn't want to put any, we didn't know um, how that was going to impact kids, teachers. Um, so that day was canceled in terms of online learning. As Jeff explains, these attacks have immediate consequences and usually result in a shutdown of the school. Newhall School District responded very quickly and within a week, they were able to get distance learning back up and running. It was a ransomware attack. Okay. Um, like I said, they ended up um, putting a BitLocker on different devices on some of the servers and other things like that. So that's, you know, you need, we needed the access keys to be able to get rid of um, all of that situation. So. The hackers who infiltrated Newhall didn't steal any information, but they locked Newhall's devices, leaving them unable to access any of their data. In order to recover it, the school district could have either given the hackers the money they were asking for or worked to resolve it, which they did. Cyber attacks have evolved over the past years and will continue to do so in the future. Hackers have found more complex ways to infiltrate systems and can force school districts to pay a larger amount of money. Without focusing our attention on protecting the systems of our beloved school districts, we will begin to see an increase in the amount and severity of cyber attacks. Now with New technologies and tools, cyber attacks and cybersecurity have become more complex. How will the new advancements in cybersecurity affect public education? Keith and Corey spoke at length about the trends that they have seen in the recent years. One being that hackers have started to target schools in order to leverage their computing resources. Corey says, So what we saw is early on a couple of years ago when cryptocurrency was blowing up and, and kept rising and rising, uh, we started seeing ransomware taper off a little bit and cryptocurrency starting to make its run. Um, then, you know, the bottom kind of fell out of cryptocurrency a little bit. It dropped its price significantly. And what we saw is people going away from cryptocurrency and back into ransomware. Now we're starting to see those highs again in cryptocurrency where I think that's going to migrate again toward that toward that cryptocurrency because as much as the criminals, you know, the criminals want to keep the authorities away from them as much as possible. And by having a more benign form uh, or a benign method to make money, makes it, you know, a lot better for, for them because there's not, you know, there's not the, you know, the authorities aren't really hunting them, if you will. Crypto mining itself is a completely legal process and many people are learning how to do so. According to an article by Business Insider, there are about an estimated 1 million Bitcoin miners currently. However, 
Infiltrating an organization and using their computer power to mine cryptocurrency is not allowed. Cryptocurrency is digital currency that is not regulated by the government, and some of the big names are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Crypto mining is when you use computing power to carry out a certain number of tasks in return for a small amount of cryptocurrency. Many hackers are implementing this strategy due to this ability to stay hidden for some time. Individuals or organizations won't necessarily find out about this malware right away. Some of the institutions that I've dealt with have found it out because their electric bill goes through the roof. Um, and their air conditioning bill, you know, they actually find out that their air conditioning bill is going through the roof. Um, you know, an individual might realize it because their fan's always running hot. Um, or their battery dies, you know, very quickly on a laptop. This secrecy helps hackers avoid having to deal with law enforcement for some time, as they can use the school's resources to mine crypto without having to spend their own resources. And they would basically use the resources of the individual, of the school system, of, of whatever they've compromised to mine cryptocurrency for them. Now, why this was so effective was because this was... Um, this was more of a crime of inconvenience versus a crime of, you know, actual damages, right? So if I encrypt all your machines and you have to go through as a K through 12 institution and, you know, wipe those machines and re-image them, I mean, that's costing you actual dollars. Um, and that's, that's something that the criminals, um, you know, will do. But now that puts them on the radar of the police and the FBI and all of that kind of things. However, if I put a crypto miner on your device and I'm, you know, uh, farming cryptocurrency off your PC and I don't do any other damage to your computer, um, you know, that that's, you know, that's a, a crime that's not going to get as much visibility from the likes of the FBI or or um, state, local, or, or federal uh, government. So now they're not going to have as many people go after them. So along with ransomware attacks, crypto mining is also becoming popular. And according to Corey, trends show that when the popularity of one attack decreases, the other rises. Now these two attacks, ransomware and crypto mining, have been evolving. And Corey expanded on them in our conversation. Cryptocurrency people have adjusted their tactics to say, hey, maybe don't take 100% of the CPU, maybe only take 40% of the CPU as a max. So, um, you know, again, we kind of stay under the radar. But there's literally people who have had their electric bill for their data center, you know, quadruple, or, you know, in a month, just because of the amount of extra power that's being taken on from the form of, you know, from the cryptocurrency mining, running those CPUs at 100%. Ransomware attacks have seen a similar change in tactics. There's been a lot um, uh, ransomware. Ransomware continually evolves, right? But one of the evolutions that we've seen in ransomware uh, recently is that before they're encrypting everybody's data, is they're actually exfiltrating that data. Um, so now what happens is they'll go to the organization and say, "Hey, listen, you know, pay us a um, hundred thousand dollars, and we'll." 
we'll get your data back. Now the organization says, well, you know what? Hey, I've got good backups. We can be back up and running in two or three days. I'm not going to pay you $100,000. So now the adversary says, well, listen, now you got to pay us $100,000 or we're going to release all that information on the dark web. The dark web is used to provide access to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter in countries who have banned these applications. However, it is now also used for illegal activities, one being selling stolen information. According to an article done by Wired, the dark web still moves around $100 million worth of illegal drugs per year. This number is a huge increase from what was reported a few years back. Additionally, 60% on the personal information on the dark web can damage individuals and businesses to a great extent. Payment card information, research data, blueprints, security plans, and medical records can all be purchased, and bad actors will use this information to either blackmail you or make huge purchases using your information. Furthermore, the dark web is used by terrorist organizations like ISIS to spread news and propaganda. In order to keep up with the increasing complexity of cyber attacks, schools must improve their cybersecurity practice. With all of these various examples of how schools have become vulnerable, it seems like the simplest solution to fixing the problem would be better cybersecurity. However, in speaking to our professionals, I have found that this biggest problem goes beyond security. It has to do mainly with funding. You know, the biggest thing is, I, I think, in general, the K-12 through space has been fairly underfunded in, in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, whether it's salaries or, or whether it's, um, you know, equipment, things of that nature. And I really think that the K through 12 space needs an influx of additional capital to help, you know, protect them from these things. In order to build stronger security, schools simply need more money. This will help them purchase necessary tools and technological equipment. Additionally, this funding will help to hire staff that specialize in cybersecurity. Only one in every five school districts even has one full-time person working on cybersecurity. So there's a lack of human capacity. Uh, the funding source that most schools use is that E-rate program that I talked about, but it doesn't cover most cybersecurity. So most school districts are limping along with inadequate tools and people. Corey from Cisco talked about another way that schools can increase their cybersecurity without having to hire staff. I would say my biggest thing is there's a huge untapped resource that they have that they may not be utilizing, which is the students that are um, in the school system. Um, and I would actually say, hey, listen, start a cybersecurity education program um, and then see about bringing a couple of them in as interns and help them augment your cybersecurity and your IT infrastructure and things of that nature. I mean, I'm very impressed with, um, with a lot of the students that are out there um, and what their abilities are both around, you know, programming and, and engineering and cybersecurity that, you know, they could apply to those type of areas. And it also gives them an outlet to kind of keep them from doing something um, potentially negative or off color, you know, with, with their um, skills. Educating students on proper technology use and teaching them on how to protect systems will be a win-win situation for both the students and the school. 
School districts will be able to create stronger security measures without having to spend too much money. And students will gain valuable technological experience that will help them in their careers. This would be a great way for schools to increase their security systems. And there are many courses and online certifications that can help kids learn about cybersecurity. I personally am a huge fan of this idea and would have loved for something like this to have existed when I was in high school. I wouldn't be surprised to see some version of this system be adopted in various school districts in the upcoming years. As more and more of our work is becoming digitized, so using kids to improve security measures will help protect the data that school districts store in their systems. The best thing that you can do as an individual is to donate to nonprofits like COSIN and other edtech organizations to support their efforts in securing our beloved school systems. There are many resources available on the internet that outline the various steps that you or a school can take to better protect their systems and their student information. One of my personal favorites is the K-12 Cybersecurity Resource Center and other websites like cybersecurityguide.com and securityintelligence.com that also have specific pages outlining ways to protect your systems. Another action would be to educate kids on how to properly use the internet so they stay away from clicking on fraudulent links. This could be your own children, your niece or nephew, your siblings, cousins, or even your friends. Anyone that you know who goes through the K-12 system should have knowledge on how to use their devices so they do not allow a hacker to gain access to the school's or their own confidential data. Schools are a place for young kids to learn and thrive. And we have to ensure that the students and staff part of the K-12 education know that their data is being protected. It's hard to imagine that such a positive learning space is now being used by malicious actors for financial gain. In order to combat these cyber criminals, we have to start paying more attention and defending against the different attacks that can be launched against schools. Funding and hiring technology staff seem like two of the main solutions and installing security tools or training students are also steps in the right direction. Working to protect our beloved school districts will protect the vital information of students and staff, allowing the next generation of students to learn in a safe and secure environment. Thank you to everyone for tuning into the second episode of Cybersecurity in the Modern World. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us on your favorite podcasting app as it really helps grow the show. Be sure to send me any questions at montagecyber at gmail.com. And thank you once again for listening. I will see you all in the next episode.